0: Hi, Internet! You're listening to episode 6 of Open Paren, a podcast about librarians and code. You can catch the complete show notes, including links to whatever we end up talking about today, at thatandromeda.github.io slash open underscore paren, where you can also suggest guests and catch up on previous shows. Thanks for listening. Today we are talking to Ian Collins, who is a... Uh, digital service librarian at the University of Illinois at Chicago and has done a lot of WordPress and other online exhibit type of things and I wanted to start actually talking about those because I was looking at some of the exhibits you've worked on which are all going to be in the show notes and the thing that jumped out to me is they're all so hyper-local and they're all about like connecting people to institutions and telling the stories of people and their institutions. And I wondered like, was that on purpose? Do you have things to say about that hyperlocal stuff?
1: Well, I mean, I'm an outsider cause I'm from Texas. So it's always fascinating for me to learn more about Chicago and 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 understand those stories and the actual uh, climate around Chicago. Um, it just so happened that that's kind of how the project shook out that we were really you know focusing on that and a lot of, a lot of our collections are really built around chicago i mean mm-hmm. obviously one of the things that we've worked on department wise which i don't get any credit on because i haven't done much on but they are, are a lot of our people were working on the explore chicago portal which is mm-hmm. one thing that is about pulling all those things together and so um a lot of the actual special collections that we've, you know, spent a lot of time digitizing and getting out there are definitely Chicago-based. So it just so happened that we were trying to put those things out there, get a lot more access to them. Um, you know, there's always people interested in, in reading and learning more about Chicago. So it seemed like there was some built-in users for it. So. Um.
0: Yeah, I, re- I remember when the Explore Chicago launched and it looked like such a sort of labor of love and such a nostalgia fest for anyone with a Chicago connection that I was instantly like Sending it to all my Chicago friends they are like, have you seen this? Particularly my Chicago friends here who, you know, constantly miss Chicago.
1: Sure. I'm sure. also not
0: from Chicago, but I've been there for <laughs> ALA. And it, I can see why people would be attached to it.
1: <laughs> yeah. And and so, you know, it's it's it definitely works to, you know, as a showpiece for us as well, because we have so much Chicago material. And so mm-hmm. that's one way to get it out. But another way to do that is also to have a more curated experience with some of our materials. Like for something like Explore Chicago, there's less of a need to have things that are so UIC specific. Mm-hmm. And in this case, UIC is turning 50 this year. So, you know, there was definitely a lot of interest in celebration. We also had a, a new reading room open at the library, which was focused around the start of the campus. Mm-hmm. Um, so, It was a way to start marking some of those things and some of those milestones and to actually get a lot of those materials together and let people see how the campus is developed. Because this campus totally was like, it looked like the Jetsons kind of, (laughs) I don't know. It was kind of the, the brainchild of a fascinating architect who, I don't know, he had a lot of theories Maybe a lot of issues. I don't know. There's staircases that don't go anywhere on this campus. There's, There used to be sky platforms that connected different floors and stuff. All these things that sound amazing. And when you see them in practice, they do look pretty cool. But the problem is, you know... There, there was crime sometimes that happened under these underpasses and maintaining them when it's cold. All these things happen. So they had to tear a lot of that down. So a lot of the actual character of this campus isn't there. So in the case of the UIC archive site, you know, part of what we were trying to do is showcase that, show how campuses changed, show things that when it first opened, why it was a big deal and why it was considered you know, such a space age and interesting campus.
0: Right, because you only have the original intent of it at this point in that right. archival form. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was reading about um, on your your I guess personal site. You had a Mecca exhibit about the the Circle Campus and how very like brutalist it was. And like I'm I'm a total Jane Jacobs partisan, right? So I like can't deal with brutalist architecture. She's poison that well for me. Sure, but, but it was very reminiscent of of the brutalist stuff in Boston, where again it it was built with that sense of like futurism and optimism and egalitarianism or what have you. But it was built totally without an awareness that it snows here. (laughs) Right,
1: exactly.
0: (laughs) And and yeah, without an awareness that if you have sort of spaces that aren't warm and friendly, but are also poorly lit and maybe under things, like there will be crime and then you'll have to tear it down. Um, (laughs) so one of the things I was wondering, looking at all that is, is, um, you're talking about a project where there's a lot of stakeholders who are alive and present and have strong feelings that this is their city and are, are you involved with, with talking to them or with the process of curation? Are there sort of aspects of that, that you find yourself having to represent technologically
1: I, I'd, I'd say we've definitely had that with a couple of projects. Um, less so on that one. That one was very much like they just really wanted to see something. They, they had You know what happened was there was kind of an initiative to build a site originally that put these things together, but they kind of hadn't done it,
0: I, mm-hmm. I guess.
1: And so the Alumni Association was actually really receptive when the university archivist who was really spearheading the project um was was pushing that forward you know he he had he had made uh contacts within the chancellor's office and different things so there were definitely people that were interested but they they were very relaxed in that case like they just wanted to get something to mark such a big achievement and it it's still something that's evolving you know we're we're still adding to that site we're still adding new timelines and uh Probably exhibits that show off more of that material as it's being digitized, but um, we didn't have to. We didn't have to really, really work too hard on that one. Um, for the Remembering Daily site, we had to try and come up with ways to represent those different eras curatorially, and, and our special collection staff did a great job. So that's that's the one where I'd say we definitely had to to kind of <laughs> discuss and and figure out how you're going to represent those things over time. I mean, that one definitely required a lot of kind of digital curation work, not only from the actual, what we're doing in WordPress, but just when you're looking at the materials. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I was looking at that site and I I am not from Chicago, but I I know just enough about Chicago to know that Mayor Daley is, is not a straightforward legacy (laughs) and and figuring out, you know, how do you put that in an exhibit um, that isn't, either going to totally whitewash things or infuriate everybody (laughs) seems like an exciting challenge.
1: Yeah, that one. Yeah, that's, that was exactly the challenge. You just described it perfectly (laughs) is you want to give the full story, but you know, there's also a lot of sensitivity that has to come up on a lot of different sides. So Mm -hmm. um, you're just trying to capture that and find ways to approach that and, and, we, I think we, I think we covered it pretty well. I mean, I definitely think the the main archivists that were really sitting there with the papers and doing anything, you know, doing everything, just really, you know, did a great job putting all the materials together. We were just trying to really find a place and a platform to actually present it in their vision.
0: Mm-hmm. So I'm curious about that because I'm I'm constantly obsessed with the uh, the way that ethical decisions play out in technical architecture. And and obviously there's a curatorial level just on the archives, what choices do you make about how to tell the story? But I'm wondering, did that impact your your tool chain? You know, you you've talked about WordPress hacking and development and stuff being being interests of yours. So that are there are there tools you found yourself needing to use or avoid or change in order to tell that story in a way that was honest and sensitive?
1: That's a tough question because I think when you're doing that first design run through kind of, Mm -hmm. you start to figure out a lot of those tools. There's different themes, there's different plugins, there's things that are not sustainable sometimes. Sometimes it's, it's the best choice you, there's a choice you want to make, but there's no way that with either the resources that we have or, you know, uh, looking towards the future that you're actually going to be able to maintain some of those things. So um, a lot of those things you kind of try and rule out as quickly as possible. I'd, <laughs> I'd, say, um, I'd say when we were doing the Remembering Daily site, we definitely, the, the theme is, has a lot of options, but I think it had to be hacked a lot of ways that we weren't necessarily anticipating and sometimes there were those and and this is kind of just my own personal feeling about wordpress a little bit is you have to let wordpress do what it's going to do a little mm-hmm. bit it, it it's sometimes you just have to you have to bend with it a little bit so when you're bending with it you're you're just saying okay it's not really going to let me organize like this it's not really going to do that how much time is it going to take to make it do this? Is it worth making it do this? Is there another way to look at the materials mm-hmm. or the way the pages are structured to actually make those things happen, you know, mm-hmm. to make the site still work? And so a lot of times, what I mean, you know, my first things that I'm doing is testing a lot of things. A lot of times, I use my own test space, honestly, because I have full control. I can go in and you know mess up the PHP, yes. do, so, <laughs> do something, do something dumb. You it's know, so that,
0: critical having like is. your local thing where you can just break stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have different devi- uh, different environments. You know, we have a dev, uh, a staging, and a production. But even still, a lot of times, I need to be able to just go in and say. Let me add this plugin now. It's going to take me two minutes in my web space. Let me do this. Let me like, look at the code here and change this. Does that work? Okay, great. Now let me try it in one of our actual environments that replicates what we're doing. And so I usually do that. I do a lot of just testing on plugins or themes or different things if we have to add new ones. It's nice to be able to use things from your natural toolkit, but mm-hmm. um, other times you just never know.
0: So I heard these magic words, dev and staging and production. I want to dig into that because okay. I, I have heard libraries with everything from like a professional grade development pipeline to like terrifyingly seat of your pants, live hacking on production kind of code. <laughs> so I, I'd like to hear more about like, what is your actual development sort of best practices, your DevOps situation there? Because it sounds like you, you have a good thing going on
1: yeah we actually do um, we actually do use um, different staging sites. So, I mean a lot of times for updates or stuff, we do actually build though on production a lot of times because we need to see it. <laughs> you actually need to see how it looks on a mobile device because we have to get everything looking good on a mobile device. Um, and it's just the you know instead of having to build the site multiple times, it's kind of actually hard to pull things sometimes from uh, WordPress. You know, if you're actually pulling from a dev into a into an actual production, it can kind of be a little bit difficult. There's there's different mm-hmm. steps, like, because you actually have to pull the database, you actually have to pull the WordPress files, and it actually proved pretty difficult when we were doing it, and we haven't always been able to have as much system administration as we wanted, probably, since we really started getting it going at we always joke that it's kind of the spinal tap drummer position at our library where it's just like <laughs> they just magically disappear and explode you know go off to japan something something happens you know um one of your former guests francis francis uh, yeah francis he is, he 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 is, left, was like he was there for a while no but since then we haven't we've yet to really replicate that um mm. so a lot of times, yeah, we we build on our production. We do a lot of our updates on our staging. We have a dev where we can just do a lot of trying mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, but, yeah, we do a bit of a high wire <laughs> production. Right. Kind of.
0: Yeah, it sounds like there's some scripting steps that it would be great if there were somebody who could write them, but maybe that's not an option right now. Certainly yeah. the, the, the main thing I'm working on right now, we, we got to the point where we like fully scripted our um, testing and staging and production deployments. And we have a staging site that is, you know, a clone of production. And so we can build everything there. And if it breaks, we get to see it there. And this has happened where it's like, wow, we just totally broke staging.
1: <laughs> yeah. And
0: I... We told the users this would be up in an hour. I, then that's not going to happen. It's time to panic but it's better panicking about staging than panicking about production. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a fan of that. Uh, hmm. I guess another thing that stood out to me when, when we were chatting beforehand is you've done WordPress, you've done Drupal, you've done a Mecca, So like SmackDown, tell me about your like, <laughs> What's good and bad? Do you have a favorite?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I like, you know, I like most of them. Um, WordPress has a lot of flexibility and it's it's easy to get running. I mean, a lot. I, I would say my goal with WordPress a lot of times is to make stuff so you don't have to code that much. Like ideally, whenever we make some type of, of site or something, we update it, but ideally there's somebody else, there's some other stakeholder that very well maybe in charge of some of it so like for that UIC archive site where we have a lot of the uh, uh, campus stuff the the evolution of the campus you know our, our university archivist is very involved in adding stuff and, and making new stuff so it's like I want to make things smooth enough so he can actually go in and just keep making stuff um, and I'd say that's one of the strengths of WordPress I think people can pick it up pretty well and pretty easily um, like I said earlier, it may not be as flexible sometimes. <laughs> I mean, you have to bend with it a little bit. Um, Omeka is more discoverable, I think, than both Drupal and WordPress. A lot, at least out of the box. Like the thing about Omega is, it makes things look pretty, and you can easily search them in a way that Content DM gives you without, you know, the grief of Content DM. Uh, so I do really like it. I haven't used Omeka two. That much. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that I mentioned on my website is—it's kind of old. Uh, there's probably things I do differently on it, but I still like um, the actual platform. I—I I, I need to get back into it. There, there, there's been some projects where I would like to use it again. We just haven't had the chance, and obviously, maintaining it is a is a different issue. I um, think with Drupal, this is what I said about Drupal the other week to Margaret, which I think she she liked which is Drupal's kind of the Lars von Trier of CMSs, <laughs> like, you know, he, the, he's a, he's a Danish director. Who's very like, he, he pleases and frustrates in equal amounts. So he'll make something really enjoyable, like boss for all, but he'll also make something like melancholia, which is like kind of heavy and, you know, it just it just makes you want to pull out your hair. And that's how I feel about Drupal. Like, I think it's super powerful. There's a lot you can do with it. It requires a lot of hands to manage it, too. That's my thing about Drupal sometimes is you got to have some people that are ready to manage Drupal. And I don't know if WordPress requires that much. Uh, I did Omeka on my own. I haven't really used Omeka a lot in a institutional setting where it's like, here's a lot of people that have to manage it. Um so I guess I'm gonna go with WordPress, but it depends on the project. Because <laughs> there's times where I'd way rather use Omega. I think Omega is great. Um, it just there's a lot of things you can do with it that you can't do with WordPress. And I think WordPress has some things that make it look far slicker than and people like things that look pretty. And if I had uh, the right amount of technical people around, you could totally do Drupal. It's just sometimes super frustrating. My experience with it was just like brutal sometimes
0: have you seen any of the uh new wordpress thing where they're like moving everything to javascript and microservices and apis and and very like web 3000 have you have you poked into that Ha. Oh. Huh. well internet we seem to have briefly lost touch with ian but uh when he gets back he can tell us about wordpress um and while we wait maybe you want to go check out the brand new wordpress i'll make sure to have that link in the show notes because it's it's really interesting it's it's moving to sort of an all javascript front-end thing where everything can talk to each other through APIs Um, and in theory there's a whole lot of of performance uh, upgrades that can come with that but of course it's also like now you have a gigantic pile of JavaScript where perhaps before you had just like HTML. Um, And I haven't looked at it closely before but I I am wondering and I'm hoping someone with WordPress expertise can tell me about the... um, sort of pros and cons of that, right? Do you end up with sort of a maintainability nightmare or a thing where it's like, if you don't do exactly what it wants, then you can't do anything. I don't know. Um, However, I don't seem to be getting Ian back. So I'm going to, oh, he just dropped out. So maybe he's gonna rejoin. Um, I'll give him a moment to rejoin. And if he doesn't, I think I'm gonna have to call this one early. Uh... he's trying to come back. Hopefully, he just Oh,
1: sorry. There you are. Sorry. Uh, it's, it's it's me and Windows. They're just not friends today.
0: Oh, I'm not friends with Windows ever.
1: I'm usually... I, you know,
0: I try not to be judgy about platforms and systems and stuff. Because <laughs> I want people to feel welcome to be part of... Technology no matter what. But I guess I am like that jerk who kind of like can't cope with Windows anymore.
1: Anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, fair enough. I, yeah. I, I wish I didn't I have that just so I can boss our content DM. So apologies <laughs> to everyone. I just cut out. Um you were yeah. saying about like headless Yeah, look at WordPress. Like new WordPress, things, WordPress right? It's
0: like brand shiny new JavaScript APIs everywhere. Have you gotten to dig into that? Do you have things to say about it?
1: I, I'm interested in it and and I think we've discussed it a little bit, but we haven't we haven't gone deep into those yeah. uh, changes. I mean, right now we just still have our multi-site server and, and have done everything pretty much within that. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, that's still fairly new as a service mm-hmm. for us. I mean, we hadn't done a lot with WordPress when I got here about almost two years ago. We had maybe, we had like our library blog and it was pretty out of the box. So I mean, it's, it's still a learning curve where, you know we probably have maybe 10 things up and running and trying to get more going, and so that's even as it builds, you know that that's creating new challenges. And so then it's like dipping into a more expansive version <laughs> we haven't yet, and we don't have a lot of Java hands really. We don't have like a lot of uh, Java developers right now. Uh, we've got a lot of Python and and some PHP people, so we haven't yeah. we haven't really gone in on it
0: yet. Yeah, so I want to pick up on that phrase as a service that you use, because of course, the difference between a technology that you just have like on your computer, and a technology that's a service or a production grade thing, like supporting a lot of people can be actually a really big difference. So I'm, I'm curious, like what's involved for you in going from the like, yeah, maybe we have a blog to we have service going on?
1: Uh, well, we've developed some policies, which obviously evolve. <laughs> you set some and then they just change. Um, and every site is different. So sometimes your ideas are different. But um, And also, you know, your user base is different. So some people are much more like, yeah, I totally want to add things all the time. And then we've got others where it's like, yeah, we might add to it or... I don't really want to add to that. Can you go in and do this? Or like another thing that I worked on, um, it it was actually pretty Java heavy and it was using this ancient code and I'm pretty reticent to actually go in and do much to it because I don't want it to break. So it's Mm -hmm. like, I don't really want people going into that one very much. Like I feel like one change could just break everything in that one. So um, it's been, it's just been an adjust. I mean, part of it's just, educating everybody saying like, hey, yeah, we're, we're working, we have this now, we can actually build some things, mm-hmm. you know, we, we have to actually, you know, we got to do our project proposals and meet with the stakeholders and all of those things. But we also have to actually think about what we can, what our bandwidth is to actually build mm-hmm. this stuff and actually get these things going. So, um, it's been a it's been a it's been a learning experience trying to actually just make it something like yeah you know people know it's there and and also another thing sometimes we've actually done some projects that were heavier you know Mm -hmm. than than wordpress obviously so that's something that uh has been under consideration too is is this something we can do in wordpress Mm -hmm. usually we think we can but there's times where maybe that's not the best strategy so Mm -hmm. um I'd say just just really trying to get set policies and also in-house policies. We also have to meet about it a lot, too. Like, especially when we've got a lot of heavy projects, we were definitely meeting, you know, we were doing our scrums, you know, and standing there and, or sitting and, because we were breaking the rules of scrum. And um, just actually trying to keep everybody updated and make sure that, you know, we're, we're moving in the directions that we need to do. So a lot of project management is part of it.
0: So I, I take it you're an agile inspired shop, at least partially,
1: yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's something. It's something that we we uh, definitely use. I, I don't <laughs> think we follow the principles as heavy as as some places, but it's definitely helped. I mean, I think it was it was a big help starting to get these things really going, and 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 working with the department to kind of get these projects off the ground and and make sure that we actually finish them and make good time and make our stakeholders happy, all of those things that you actually really want to do.
0: So is that like a recent switchover to an agile style for you all or in place Uh, for a
1: while? You know, we got a lot of new people in our department, (laughs) including myself. I mean, even though, I mean, it's, I've been here almost two years and I've got, I've been here longer than at least three or four people in our department. Oh, Maybe it was very small. Our department was very small when I joined. and so then as we've kind of evolved things you know it's 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 so it's i think we've all kind of brought it in a little bit we've definitely had some good leadership pushing us to to kind of adapt that into our style um but we also had a lot of new people that were you know ready to shape that so i would say we've definitely gone on and, and kind of done our own image version of it
0: yeah, I don't think anyone does like canonical, agile, qua agile, but I'm I'm having a lot of fun watching it sort of spread in the academic library technology sphere because it's, it's so unlike traditional academic, you know, long timeline committee based kind of stuff that has, it's interesting to me that it actually seems to work. And
1: yeah, no,
0: interface I, with the rest of the institution effectively.
1: Oh, it's 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 it was really strong. I think it it for us. I think it really opened the communication just between different sections of the department. Even though we're on, um, we're on different sides of the floor. Like you know, I think it it brought a lot of people together to communicate about different projects. That you know, I, I think when you lose when you lose some people, some people have been here longer. Some people are new you have to kind of find a middle ground to start you know like a starting point to get everybody really talking about different things and and it and it worked really well i definitely think it it helped bring our department together on these kind of projects and and it really has helped with wordpress because there's always things you have to update and you know sometimes you need a new plugin sometimes you need different stuff so um it's worked pretty well
0: Mm -hmm. that's neat That was very cool. It's like the kumbaya moment of project. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, a little bit. I would say it actually is a little bit, that I I have credit (laughs) to uh, the the scrums and things.
0: Well, um, let's see. I think I've, I've sort of touched on all the things that really jumped out at me from what you were saying before the show. Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about?
1: Oh, we, we can talk about anything. We can, go, <laughs> <laughs> we can go back off on Sharknado like we were talking about earlier. Um,
0: Lars von Trier, sing
1: <laughs> we, we could talk, talk about Lars von Trier. <laughs> we could talk about Medea by Lars von Trier, any of those. Um, you know, I'm just always interested to hear your take because you're you're much more of a, a heavy coder on, on, on your take on different CMSs and things like that because uh, going in, I mean, I always feel like I feel like I'm a tech person, kind of, but I'm a librarian, and I'm always interested to hear from people who consider themselves strong tech people, what their take on Drupal and WordPress and trying to Mm -hmm. develop in those environments is.
0: So I haven't done any Drupal or WordPress work in quite a while because the stuff that I'm doing these days is, it's all... It's stuff with sufficiently unique application logic that it's being built from the ground up.
1: Right? Right. Okay, cool.
0: Um, so it doesn't lend itself to a CMS model. Um, yeah, I guess I, I haven't done Drupal in so many versions that it's it's hard to say. I certainly, my blog is on WordPress and I find that convenient for like Someone else has already figured out how blogging works. And I don't have to think about it very much. Because all I want to do is there's blogging. And I don't want to have to write, you know, HTTP handlers or any of that. Um, but, yeah, the stuff I do is so un-CMS-like. I guess if I were looking for a CMS for a project, the things that I would be looking for are... Like, does it have a rich plug-in ecosystem so that, like you say, so that you don't have to do too much of the coding yourself because that becomes a maintainability nightmare. Um, and does it have a fairly large contributor base with fairly frequent updates to things like, you know, security patches or what have you? Because um, if you're relying on an open source project, you want to make sure there's a big enough community to sustain that over time. Um, And, like, to an extent, are the people nice, right? Like, if I have to show up on their IRC channel or, like, (laughs) if I decide I want to submit a patch to something, are people going to be like, welcome, thank you for being part of the community? Are they going to be like, rah, you know?
1: Yeah, that's actually a good point. <laughs> and you brought up actually one of the the challenges, I think, of WordPress, really. And Drupal has it at least somewhat, but it's it, that idea of updates and security and things like that. I mean, that's huge on WordPress. It happens a lot.
0: Yeah, like, I, if I install some of those, in fact.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, mine, I, just for my general web space, which I don't, you know, I, I only really just test on it. It has my general portfolio on it. Mm-hmm. but um, And I need to update it. but. Um, you know, it kind of just updates on its own, but when you're actually in the trenches working Mm -hmm. with it, it's like, oh, there's another WordPress update. Oh, Mm -hmm. there's another, you know, there's another big one that we actually have to make sure everything isn't broken
0: if we do it.
1: You know, I mean, there there was definitely one that um, we did something on that UIC archive site for, with OWL, you know, OWL, Mm -hmm. the um, carousel and and gallery kind of plugin um, that, we kind of had to like, leave it alone. We couldn't really update it for a little bit because it actually broke something within the site. That's one of the first times that's happened so far during Mm -hmm. our WordPress run because we've tried to choose our plugins well and somehow, whatever, if they did some weird commit or something, I don't know what happened. It just broke the galleries. So, um, and and that's honestly, goes back to that environments question where it's like, hey, here's staging. Why is this not working? How do we keep that from, Oh well, right. this won't happen on production now because we looked at it and we saw that it. So yeah, yeah. I mean that's the thing about WordPress. All that, all that security. I, it, it's funny we had a code for Lib Chicago not that mm-hmm. long ago, and uh, the librarian at IIT was saying uh, he felt like he kind of preferred Omega because you can kind of do it and leave it alone. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting because I think we have to deal with that that WordPress challenge a lot of just updating. Uh, It's
0: it's definitely making me appreciate the importance of clearly communicated and consistent versioning policies. So, for instance, most of what I do is in Django, the web framework for Python. Um, And one of my clients, the code base, debuted on Django 1.5. And right now, latest stable is 1.8. 1.9 is under development. Um, Because it cycles every, I don't know six or 12 months like more than once a year right um and and they designate one release every so often as long-term stable and so 1.8 is long-term stable 1.4 was long-term stable so we came in like just and then they they maintain long-term stable current release and one before the current release right, right? Um, so we came in 1.5 like just after a long-term stable and we have to keep like Doing these version upgrades and it's a lot more involved than it is with a WordPress because you really have to go through and see like are we using any deprecated code like anywhere in our code base? Right. Yeah. Um, so it's it's very fiddly. It's not it's not necessarily like conceptually challenging, but you have to be really really conscientious. Um, and it's a pain in the butt because we have such a small development team like custom fit has, has no like full time developers. Um, I do it on a contract basis and there's there's another person who does it part time and occasional other people here and there, but there's no full time devs. So having diversion cycle something is a pain in the butt. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm so grateful that that our current migration, we're about to bring it to one eight and that's long-term stable. And and so it will get security patches and we don't have to deal <laughs> with right. any other version upgrades for like a couple of years because it's just so grueling. Yeah,
1: see, that's nice.
0: So I really appreciate that they have that clear policy of having long-term stable releases and communicating about release cycles and all of that because it really lets you plan and and spend your limited development time on the things that matter most. <laughs> Um, and you know, moving to 1.8 will open a lot of options for us. There's some great features in 1.8, and there's some packages. We 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 have some like stuff that we wrote in house that we would much rather use third-party packages <laughs> that are you know maintained more comprehensively, right? But we have to upgrade to use them. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, I think it drives our our, our one of our, our main systems <laughs> person crazy how much she has to keep an eye on those. Oh, you know, WordPress updates. Because there's always, it's always a security one most of the time. It's just right. like, there's some crazy new, you know, John claude Van Dam virus and it's out there. And
0: it's gonna I mean, it's through everything. It's, it's running so many of the sites, right? Like, it's right, such an exactly. attractive target. It's not yep. like it's less secure than other things, but it's such an appealing target for people yep. who want to make trouble. But yeah, But yeah, it's, it's hard to keep up. And it's, do you have any kind of like automated testing or do you have to do all the manual, all the testing manually when you want to upgrade a version of anything because that we, would
1: add a dauntingness level. Uh, we've oh we've threatened to get our automated testing and we I think we've used it on some of our other sites, but for WordPress we've actually kind of used our test scripts just mm-hmm. manually doing it because they're all pretty different. So mm-hmm. um, we just haven't really gone in there and and gotten around to doing it. It's it's always something like we we've threatened to do it and and another concern that we always have to test for is you know our mobility I mean our mobile. Mm-hmm. implementations and our accessibility. So we always mm-hmm. have to keep an eye on those things from the get-go. And so when you update, it just mm-hmm. ends up being more things you have to look at. <laughs> so yeah, I end up, in, I, there's definitely some time when we do an, a run of updates that I just go oh, into our staging best. and just make sure that things aren't broken, basically. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's definitely something that, that's another challenge. Maybe, maybe we'll do was it Selenium or one of those where?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I, oh my gosh. I like, I ca- I should have, I didn't. But I kept thinking like, I need to propose a Code for Load talk that's basically about Selenium, my frenemy. Um,
1: <laughs> see, that's the way I feel about Drupal. See,
0: because it's it's so useful for exactly that purpose, right? right Take exactly. your test script and automate it. And, and it's cool to watch it run, right? Because like Firefox or whatever will just open and you'll see the page and stuff right. will click, right? But we end up just deprecating most of our Selenium tests because they are such a maintenance nightmare. Um, because, you know, Firefox will go and auto-update itself and then your tests all break. Yep. Um, and installing, or it doesn't have to be Firefox, but whatever backend you're using, it's not something that we can install via the same method that we use to install Python packages. So there's all this, like, babysitting and then, like... My lap, personal laptop, right, like I, I, I'm I, not going to maintain, I have the version of a browser I have, right? I'm not going to maintain a special work one. It's, I use that <laughs> thing, right? Um, and all the other developers and the, the, the servers, the, the test servers and everything, it's like having the same versions of everything so the tests run the same way as a pain in the butt. And just <sighs> the tools for front-end testing are not as sophisticated in a lot of ways as the back-end ones. Right, they haven't yeah. been developed in long, and it's just like the syntax of specifying what you want to do just never feels super semantic to me. It's, it's a pain in the butt. It's confusing. And then like you make a small change to your HTML, which isn't semantic and all your tests break. yep, (laughs) Right. You know, we moved from Bootstrap 2 to Bootstrap 3 and all of our tests broke because all of the classes were different. So the strings of text we we're looking for aren't there anymore. But I don't care that the classes are different, right? That's not the aspect of this thing I cared about. And it's like, oh, yeah. why Why does Selenium not like talk to Beautiful Soup better? and do everything? <laughs> I don't know. So you've uh, just explained how, I... we end
1: up, how we end up doing a lot of those things just quickly by hand. Like I can go in and just knowing that here's how the site is supposed to work, and this is yeah. what it's really supposed to do. Like, I can just I, go in.
0: I wish we had better Selenium, because we do end up with things that are genuinely, like, user-facing bugs in our JavaScript, mm-hmm. right? Because it's hard to... You can't test JavaScript without something like Selenium, um, and we don't have great test coverage for that. And so, you know, actual user interactions end up broken because we don't have... We simply don't have the throughput to do a lot of manual testing. There's not enough staff. Um,
1: the great library issue of all but time. Selenium
0: sucks. <laughs> I don't know, but it's it's the thing. I don't know what else I would do. So anyone who's listening, who who knows something that like I would like better than Selenium, please tweet at us because we we are sad.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's something that we would we've thought about and tried to get going. We just, I mean, obviously other projects come up other people's time gets divvied from, you know, so it's it just ends up being threatened, we've threatened to use more selenium and stuff. But the all your, your rant pretty much explained why. <laughs> for now, it's still fine to just go in and test all of our stuff just knowing with our scripts and the things that it does, like, so yeah. just make sure if we add something, it doesn't break.
0: <laughs> then your scripts get slowly longer over time. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, because we end up adding new sites, which we're always doing. I mean, we're adding one now in WordPress that's different than everything else that we're doing in a lot of ways. So, um, well, I mean, we're using some of the old tools, but at the same time, it's going to, its ultimate purpose is totally different than anything else we've done. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just going to end up being more that we got to test, right? It's going to be a longer <laughs> yeah. script. It's going to be one long testing soliloquy of a morning, sometime where I'm just sitting and just trying to figure out how everything is actually working.
0: Yeah. Uh, our lives will be eaten by test scripts. That
1: right. <laughs> sounds like a librarian tragedy or a developer tragedy. <laughs>
0: developer tragedy in 3x yes nope. and we can have Lars von Trier do the movie
1: oh that'd be good yeah that'd be pretty harsh though
0: melancholia yeah
1: yeah I'm, I'm hoping Charlotte Gainsbourg will play me in the movie that'd be awesome. <laughs> I'd be I'd be into that that'd be great I'd, I'd be all about that
0: and on that note I don't think I can have anything funner to say in a <laughs> podcast. um so, thank you very much for your time. Ian. Yes, and thanks for great taking great time to have to me. With you. Um, and thanks, Internet, for listening. Uh, until next time. Bye, Internet.